the first episode of this new podcast, The Abstract. My name is Tyler Finn, and I lead community and growth for SpotDraft. We're a leading contract lifecycle management solution provider. And throughout this series on this podcast, we're going to be speaking with general counsels and chief legal officers, deputy GCs, and legal ops professionals about how they've built their careers and where they're headed next. Today, I am so excited for this inaugural episode to be joined by Megan Niedermeyer and Brenda Perez. I've been fortunate to know Megan for a number of years, uh, from her time as general counsel at Gusto and then at Fivetran, and now recently um, in her new role as chief legal officer at Apollo.io, which is soon to enter hypergrowth, I think, if it follows the path of Megan's prior employers. <laughs> and Brenda Perez, a new friend uh, who helped build the legal ops team at Coinbase and is now leading legal ops at Apollo.io as, as well. Thank you both so much for, for joining us. Over the course of our conversation today, we're going to be talking about a theme that Megan came up with or, or coined that really resonates with me. We're going to be chatting about the limits and the possible limitlessness of legal and the legal function. Before we get to that, though, I thought we could start by giving each of you a chance to introduce yourselves and a few of the key moments in your careers. Uh, give us that, that background. Megan, do you want to start and, and tell us a little bit about some of your prior roles and, and your current one at, at Apollo? Sure. First off, Tyler, thank you for having us. Um, the pressure hopefully isn't on inaugural episode. The few, the many, the dedicated listeners of the abstract. Thank you for being here. <laughs> no, I am joking, but I am, am excited to get to, to have this conversation, particularly with Brenda, who is our newly hired legal operations manager, senior legal operations manager here at Apollo. First hire that I made coming into Apollo for the legal team really important critical hire. We can get into it. But a little bit about myself, like pivotal moments in my career. Gosh, went to law school straight from Afghanistan, where I had a career in international development before I became a lawyer. So if that tells you anything about my ability to handle the risky, you know, risk assessments <laughs> of startups, there's probably something there. Started my career really at Cooley in a private practice, working with some of the most well-known technology companies at the time. Um, was lucky enough to land my first in-house gig at Gusto, where I very quickly became the head of legal and compliance through a period of hypergrowth. Did the next uh, one kind of the same way. Fivetran, first in-house counsel and general counsel. Um, we had a team of over 30 by the time I left two years later. So really excited to be at Apollo IO. Have promised I will not create a 30 or 40 or 45 person legal team here. I'm all into the robots and the automation and the software, so we can get into that later. Awesome. At least not 30 this year, but we'll give you 18 months. <laughs> Brenda, you've had a really interesting career path as, as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you transitioned into legal ops and your experience at Coinbase and then the past week, week and a half at, a, at Apollo? Right, right. Thanks, Tyler. Sure. But yes, thanks, Tyler, for having me on this episode, your inaugural episode. And thank you for Megan. I mean, I've only been at Apollo for a week and a half. And like, 
she's given me opportunities here, opportunities there. The opportunity to be on this podcast with her is I super appreciate. So thank you, Megan, for that. And yeah, I just joined Apollo last Monday, so I'm a week and a half in. As Megan said, first legal hire, that's amazing for a CLO to have that as a priority for her legal team. And, you know, I'm excited. We've already jumped into a bunch of projects and super looped in and ready to just, yes, rocket ship off with my role here. But going way back, so I started my legal profession as a paralegal uh, actually, I was a paralegal secretary. I was there for about 10 years and it was, I was at a time when at that 10 year mark, I was like, okay, am I going to be a paralegal for the rest of my life at a law firm? And at that time I was thinking rest of my life, or do I go to this in-house thing that people are talking about? And so I was really lucky to be able to move after growing my career at really building my foundation at a law firm going in-house. I was at a few, you know, pretty high profile tech companies in the San Francisco Bay area. I started at mm -hmm. uh, Zynga's where I first started pre-IPO was in my paralegal role there. I worked directly on the IPO there, then went to another public company from there. They were already public when I joined, but and smaller legal team, but worked on really public, you know, as continued to be a paralegal in that role. And then joined GoPro pre-IPO, where again, I was directly involved in the IPO there supporting the team. And then at GoPro, I was there for five years before I left. But, you know, at near the end of my tenure there, I was kind of like, we were doing annual shareholder meetings. The share drive was all set up, like processes were in place. I could kind of do things with my eyes closed. And I was like, what, what more can I do? Is there something else I could do? And the GC really gave this, me this opportunity, I think, where it planted the seed of operations in my head as to support the business development team and as business development operations manager. And so that was a great opportunity. But then in 2019, so after GoPro, I joined Coinbase, where you know I was able to straddle my role as a paralegal and as legal operations. So the there, my hiring manager, he was a corporate attorney and the other corporate counsel, they were like, oh, well, we've got the corporate stuff, you know, they'll work with outside counsel, let us handle that. Why don't you go ahead and since you want to do legal ops, go work on that piece. And I was like, okay, great. And so 2019 was the first time I joined, the, um, I attended the legal ops conference, like my second month at work. Mm -hmm. And it's the CLOC, the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium Global Institute. It was pretty huge and it was a little daunting. But after that, I think in my mind, I was like, yeah, I'm all into this legal ops thing. Coming back to Coinbase after that and then just doing, 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 right? Like I just did more. The first project was like the contract management system. Then we implemented the entity management system and board portal and e-billing system. So just really all into legal ops and expanding that role and kind of eventually shedding my paralegal role and also building out a team of like five other team members on legal ops to help 
the hyper growth that we had at Coinbase. Turns out all you need to do is go to Vegas with a bunch of legal ops professionals and then you're sold for legal ops as a career, right? (laughs) (laughs) I have heard lots of great feedback stories, commentary about the clock event in Vegas. And as a GC myself, I've always been intimidated by how much fun it appears to be. We'll we'll have to work on getting you there, Megan. <laughs> what I'm hearing is you've had you've led a couple of companies through hypergrowth with Brenda on your team and IPO maybe in your future. Yeah, Brenda has worked at some really phenomenal companies, and I'm like happy to have her share kind of her her career journey because I think it's really important as we consider ourselves startup, you know, legal functions. What does it mean to build out a team, build out processes from scratch, understand what that next level looks like? And Brenda has certainly seen it all. Let's start and back up a little bit and talk about the big picture, and then we can start to speak a little more tactically. I I want to introduce a little bit of what I think of when you sort of coin the term limits and limitlessness of legal. To me, that means that that legal can expand and, and take on operational challenges within the business Things like human resources or people ops can really provide strategic business advice and, and be a partner to the to the business and business functions because legal sits at the intersection of so much and has a vantage across so much of the business. How do you think of, of that concept at a, at a high level, Megan? Just some hand motions in the background for those of you just listening. That was just me with some hand motions. You know, one of the things I struggle with as an attorney for high growth companies is that there is so much to do all the time. And the number of things at any one point in time that the legal team could be focused on is really limitless. When you think about just places to add value in a company, one, companies that are growing that fast have a ton of areas where they need value add. Two, legal teams are often kind of a sneaky secret weapon where you've got folks who are a combination of strategic, great communicators, good operationally, and they can sort of plug in in a lot of areas. Both a risk and an opportunity is that, you know, legal teams could be doing everything, but at the end of the day, if we don't cut back, we are doing nothing effectively. And so I think when I think of the limits and limitless of legal, how do we self-limit ourselves? How do we get feedback from the business to limit ourselves? And then how do we also maintain a little bit of that limitless mindset, which is we can and should be operationalizing across the entire business. We're not in a silo. If you need help, we can help you. Doesn't necessarily have to be legal for us to be able to plug in. I want to go a little bit deeper on that uh, as, as you think about the potential limitlessness of legal and, and how you manage that. Do you do you take on these sorts of tasks or, or even other functions more permanently? Do you think about just filling in or issue spotting? How do you how do you think about that, Megan? It's really hard because there are some time points in time where it is great for legal to be limitless because there is an essential need of the business. You have to plug in, it needs to get done tomorrow. Critical like gap. Plug in whether it's legal or not legal. But as the company grows and continues to develop, there can actually be a bad quality kind of shadow side to that. If legal is plugging in to keep HR afloat or to keep a a really critical process running that really shouldn't be living in legal, that's something that we should talk about, look at, and make sure that if there are issues, they're being seen and identified by others. I don't have that problem at Apollo. We've got a phenomenal people leader and people team who is awesome. But I know that that's a frequent struggle, particularly as people teams may be more nascent. If you have a people leader, maybe hasn't uh, done it before, 
particularly I see legal teams get pulled into a lot of people work and that can be, you know, both a good thing to help the company move forward, but it can be bad if it, it holds the rest of leadership back from seeing, Hey, we actually need to invest more, get a different leader there. Um, so be careful where we invest our limitless resources. Next, I want to ask both of you about the, the sort of mindset that you bring to work every day with you. Uh, we've been talking about how much legal can, can take on. I, I often have heard some, not all, but some in-house counsel refer to the folks they work with in the business as their sort of like, quote unquote, clients, right? In the same way that a, a firm might. What do you think about that? And how do you view your, your business partners? You're trying to get under my skin, oh. Tyler. <laughs> we learned this was like 15 years of Megan's. Yeah, anyone that's worked with me for a while knows that one of my pet peeves, I don't have it done, but one of my pet peeves in operating a legal department is hearing team members refer a lot to like the business, this, the business, that. Let's ask the business. Our client and this team, you know, needs us to do. Yes, they are our clients. Yes, we are out of business, but the legal team is equally part of the business as well. And so when I hear people refer to the business decision versus the legal decision, I think there is a mindset shift that I usually like to see on my teams. But more importantly, I think that's where the industry for in-house counsel is trending. We've got clients. There are business decisions that are a little bit different than legal decisions, but the same way we think in kind of that old school mentality, there's the reverse, right? A bunch of our business partners are also, we're their clients, right? Legal teams should be pushing businesses forward, not just receiving tasks to be done. And so if a legal team doesn't equally view themselves as part of the business, making business decisions, asking mm-hmm. you know, the marketing team to do something and the finance team, if we can tweak that and the product team, if we can figure out a different roadmap, then that symbiotic relationship is lost. And I question really the value of legal over the long term of a company, unless I can propel it differently than it's operating today. Yeah, Brenda, how about your your sort of mindset? Because legal ops, of course, right, sits to, to serve partially the process within the legal team, but really to serve sales, go to market, like other functions. Yeah, I think I really see it as partners as well. Apologies in advance if I accidentally say client every once in a while. <laughs> but, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I definitely see other teams as partners, right? I know that attorneys are providing like legal advice and sometimes strategic advice, but we're really working together. We're on the same team. I think sometimes it's maybe the culture of the company if they show if the, 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 there is that collaboration between teams that they're working together and not just for the other team. I think I really like to see it in legal teams where, or at companies where legal teams are uh, in, like brought into the other teams early in on the relationship, whether it's like, you know, inviting a, the legal team member to their recurring weekly meetings or to like a strategy meeting or mm-hmm. even to an offsite every once in a while would be nice to, and then the legal team member really gets to know the, the other team, right? They really get to understand their strategy. They're embedded with that team. And, and so when they are brought in, it's not just like, you know, calling your lawyer or calling your attorney to help out with this advice. They, they can really jump in and chime in when and where needed. And I think that collaboration makes it feel like partners and not like 
your client. Yeah, Brenda had like the magic words right there with partnership and partners. And that's where I view legal ops as like this glue between the legal department and all of the other departments out there with the right legal ops person and the right you know mindset and the right like partnership oriented focus. Legal ops is such a critical, you know, stickiness to really understand how does legal match to the processes that the rest of the departments have adopted. And then like, how do we help like help those departments like iterate a little bit based on some of our roadmap items. And so it's very symbiotic and that that partnership all depends on the stickiness of a great legal ops hire. I'm thinking of a Halloween costume where you're wearing this blow up suit and like everything kind of just sticks to you as you're walking along (laughs) in a good way. Are you previewing your Halloween costume for this uh, next year, Brenda? With the theme, yes. Sticky tape, and you've got some marketing, you've got some engineering, you've got some. I love that. That's amazing. That would win a contest for sure. I, <laughs> I totally agree with that point as well. I would just, I would just offer, you know, when I used to work on privacy issues, being in there with the product team and joining their weekly meetings or going to the monthly go-to-market stand up where they're sharing their sales figures, right? I mean, it tells you what the priorities of the of the business are. I think it's it's absolutely vital. Brenda, you're also oh go ahead, Megan, please. Well I think you you're kind of like going at a really good thread here, Tyler, which is, you know, people, especially in this like remote environment, we're all doing our own thing in a lot of ways, people want to feel the connection to the teams that they're mm-hmm. helping support, to the people they're helping support, to the projects they're helping support. And so the like the real secret of how legal will prioritize your work to the top of that intake queue list is like, here comes one of my dad jokes, right? Like what did the mushroom say when he ran into his friend and was looking kind of down? Mushroom says, why didn't I get invited to more things? I'm a fun guy. (laughs) (laughs) That dad joke is, you know, like being around people that you can connect with in any level, but that you view as fun and relatable colleagues really makes a difference in both of your work qualities, both of your work satisfactions, that embeddedness, that ability to call each other. There's a shared sense of automatic trust when you work on projects. And I think that is really built from the relationships first. Absolutely. One of the one of the concepts that I thought would be interesting for us to explore is the notion of sort of non-lawyers on on legal teams and, and how they're able to work with with folks on other business teams. And, and Brenda, you talked a little bit about it in your intro, but when you were making that switch from paralegal to first sort of like BD ops, and then ultimately full legal ops. How'd you how'd you get that chance or that that opportunity? And then Megan, I'm going to flip it around and and get the sort of manager perspective on this too. I think the key word there is chance. I remember asking somebody in like the legal ops profession a few years ago, like how do I grow my my legal ops career? And she said, somebody has to give you a chance. And I think that's what it was, right? At Coinbase, when I joined to straddle my paralegal role and legal ops, like my hiring manager gave me that chance, the people on the interview panel, even though I didn't have the legal ops background, they somehow saw that my background in the legal field was transferable and I would would be able to jump in and support the legal team. And, you know, along my career, my growth at Coinbase in the legal ops role, it was people giving me chances, right? I think they saw that I, you know, was able to jump in and fill a need and 
and really gave me those opportunities. I, I like to really get to know like legal team members. And we were just talking about relationships. I love meeting other teams. I love getting to know other teams. I really like, you know, not only on the business aspect, but right just to say hello in the beginning and, and to, just to learn about them. I think going into those meetings with building those relationships, also along with just kind of being like laser focused on improving efficiencies and helping grow the team, people really saw that and, and they just kind of give you more, right? Like when you build those relationships, I think people start to lean on you. They start to look at you. And you get more chances. I mean, you have to show that you can do the job, which whew, I'm glad I hopefully I showed that at Corbis and I was able to do what was needed at that time. And 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 that's yeah, it's about giving chances, I think. And right, like Megan, my opportunity here, like giving me the chance to report to her, to be the first legal hire, it helps with with growth. And that's how I am where I am, I think, along with a little bit of hard work and some sleepless nights. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's interesting, Brenda. I feel like equally you gave me a chance, right? Like you're coming on board to a brand new legal team that's being built out from the ground up. And so that chance goes both ways. And I think as leaders, we often don't think enough about the chances that other people are giving us and the trust they're putting in us. And I think that's just as important as me thinking through, all right, I'm going to give this person on the team a chance to do a stretch project just because it'll be great for them to get the exposure. I said how amazing Megan is. <laughs> Cut this from the podcast. <laughs> You're very lucky. Megan, who's your next hire, I should say? Uh, who's lucky enough to join well, next? You're employed as a professional podcaster now, so I can't take you, Tyler. We do have a couple roles that are going to be coming open, and, and you know, I, I love to talk with people who are interested in them. One will be an associate general counsel for product and privacy, and another will be a uh, privacy program manager. And so excited as we get those both posted and up and running to continue building out a team and a culture that represents kind of what Brenda and I have aligned on. That, that program manager role, that's, it's, it's interesting. Um, presumably that could be a lawyer or a, or a non-lawyer. Megan, curious for, for your view and, and then Brenda too on where you think the role of sort of non-lawyers on, on legal teams is, is headed over time. It seems like it's much more common now than it might have once been because the scope of what legal needs to deal with uh, has so sort of greatly expanded. One of my favorite movies is Jurassic Park. And I would say the role of legal ops, you know, legal ops are the, the dinosaurs and like the GCs and lawyers of the team. And in some ways, the people just hanging out in the park, like, you know, the legal legal ops is taking over for all the right reasons and all the right ways. And I wouldn't be surprised as, you know, more companies continue to invest in legal ops. They see the really extreme value that they bring. It's really important to have a mindset that's different than the mindset of attorneys. I think attorneys are excellent in all the things that we were trained to do, that we practiced for many years to do. Extremely detail-oriented, very communicative, uh, great at verbal and written communication, You know, super analytical. Sometimes those skills don't translate to the rest of your company. And not only do they not translate, they can actively work against us. They can like hide the really big benefits that we're bringing to the company because the skin around how we operate maybe is jostling folks around us. And so I really view the role of non-attorneys as like helping be those translators for 
what the legal team, what the lawyers are doing, how that works with the business, how each side needs to adjust accordingly to make it a really good symbiotic partnership like Brenda was mentioning earlier. I really, so coming from a paralegal role, right? I love it when I see a legal ops, when I meet a legal ops professional and I'm like, first time and I go to LinkedIn and cause I'm like on LinkedIn all the time, I type in their name and I scroll through their experience. I'm like, oh my God, this, this she, she or he had a role as a paralegal, right? And now that person is senior director of legal operations. I was like, ooh, big win. But yeah, I think I see a lot of paralegals, right? Shifting into a legal ops role. I think because of the growth opportunity and the type of work that's being done, yeah. it just opens, like for me, it was pretty eye-opening, right? Like I'm doing a lot of this stuff and my skills are super transfer transferable into a legal ops role and, and I can do this. And the legal ops community is so like welcoming. There's so many people willing to share their stories, right? There's like podcasts like this okay. one, there's articles, there's there's like the Clock Global Institute coming up in May, right? They have, they offer mm -hmm. that workshop on fundamentals of legal ops, I think, for people who are starting in the legal profession. So I think seeing all that growth and seeing that community building that growth and then aligned with CLOs like Megan that have that mentality, right? That they're open to having legal ops professionals come in or just legal professionals come in to fill roles in addition to the attorney roles. I would just note, you know, when I was a, a junior associate at a law firm, and if there are, you know, early stage career lawyers out there, whether you're in a law firm or not, one of the best pieces of advice I got was to really like watch and listen to the paralegals. And to this day, I learned so much about being a great lawyer from some of our really senior paralegals at the firm who really have been doing this. They're experts in their field. And so like what an amazing foundation to start from if someone is interested in going into legal ops or if you are working with a paralegal closely, you know, for someone who knows what they're doing, that is amazing opportunity to learn. I'm going to throw this question back to you, though, Tyler. You are, you know, have been on a sort of adjacent to legal teams in a non-lawyer role. Like, yeah. how do you view that relationship between the lawyers and non-lawyers? Well, I, I love it because I think it it creates a sort of diversity of views and a diversity of background. And I think that I think that you know, lawyers, generally speaking, are really, really good at identifying risks and solutions to to those risks. And people who sit on the business side may be a little bit more attuned to, to opportunities um, and, and how they can go after those. And I, I do think folks who are working on an in-house team, working across legal and other functions can kind of serve as a translator because they report into and, and are ultimately responsible for um, protecting the business against risks too. But they're they're just a little bit closer to those folks who are who are seeing some of the opportunities. And you know, I don't want to I don't want to jump the gun on the question, but it, but it, later on we'll talk about where GC roles and CLO roles are going over time. And and I think it's really interesting because you see some folks who whether it's because they they've just been able to grow and mature with a business so much, or because they want to take their careers in slightly different directions, going on and taking roles that leverage their legal background, but put them a little bit more in that that opportunity camp. That's a bit of how how I think about it. I love Megan the, the sort of like humility and and also recognizing like some of the flip sides of being able to see all those risks. I was wondering, you know, how much of your day to day 
is really around the practice of, of law. And when you're in a business with hyper growth, whether or not that changes, right? Like if you're at a place that is a hundred people is a lot of your day actually in the weeds on the law. And then as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, maybe more operational or um, how, how is, how has your experience been with, been with that? Well, I will say like not a day goes by that I'm not practicing law. And so I'm still a lawyer despite my best efforts, right? But there is an interesting inverse relationship. I think if you're working at a fast growing company and you're an early legal hire, like I've done a couple of times now, which is, you know, there's a the first period, I'd say phase one, you're really like doing everything that a lawyer does from NDAs to inputting equity grants, to negotiating a partnership agreement, to talking with the product team, you are full stack, full everything, everywhere lawyer. As you get to the privilege to build out a team, you maybe shed some of the things you were working on before and the work and the time you spend starts to become more, you know, it's still legal, but it's more kind of risk calculus for legal. It's strategy for legal. It's decision-making for legal, which is entirely informed by your team, but you, you spend more time thinking and communicating more than you do actually doing. And so one of the interesting aspects about being a, a GC for fast growing companies is that you have to be able to be kind of a one man, one woman show. You play the individual contributor in some areas until you've hired them away and processized them away. You are a C-suite executive in other areas. Mm-hmm. You're a mid-level manager in other areas. All of that fills out over time. But I think one of the hard things for both startups and GCs is to really wrap your head around, like, do I like this? Does that person like that? Are they going to be happy in that role given they have to play all parts of the like one person show? Absolutely. And there's there's a lot of ownership that comes along with that. Um, one, one concept that I thought that we could explore. Megan, I, I was curious for how you think about sort of the concept of ownership, given all that legal can take on philosophically examples of, of times when, when legal has really taken on a task that may not fall directly within the, the remit of the department. You know, this is an interesting question. I think in a lot of ways, I, I bristle a little bit at the idea of ownership only because if we're focused on ownership, we're not focused on impact. I'm someone who's entirely impact driven. I want to see the right impact for the business. And if I see an executive team or a cross-functional stakeholder group or a boardroom or no matter what setting you're in, if I see a group that is more focused on who owns what, what's the racy or the rapid or the decision-making process for X, Y, Z, is it you, is it me, is it this person, finger pointing, I get a little nervous, right? Because at the end of the day, we want to see the right outcome for the business. There are a couple ways to get there. And we should decide based on our business, our talent, our current resourcing, our current experience, which way we want to skin the cat. Every company is a little bit different. And you can't tell me that there's only one way to do something. There have been people who've done it differently and they've still survived. And so there is probably a one way to do something based on the facts of your company, based on the resources and the talents you have at your company. Assess those carefully to figure out who's going to take the lead on a certain area of responsibility and who's going to follow. But really those should be kind of outcome-based decisions rather than ownership-based decisions. Yeah, I actually, I love that. It's super insightful because I've always liked working with people who think of themselves as owners, 
right? As in like they everything that is sort of put in front of them, they own it all the way through. They're not going to say, well, I've done the legal review on this marketing doc. And even though there's a bunch of typos in it, or I don't think it will resonate with any customer based on what I know of the customer, if marketing says it's okay, just ship it. Right. Uh, that's that's not really a, being an owner, but I, I love I love I think that's very insightful. I love that idea that ultimately among functions or among people, you shouldn't just be focused on dividing up ownership and saying now we can sort of turn our turn our backs. And the people yeah. you're working with, Tyler, who are owners, those people that you like gravitate towards, I love, I gravitate towards those people too. And I tend to think the reason why they follow things through all the way isn't because they're like, I'm the owner. And because I had this stamp of approval is why I'm going to finish it. Those people are intrinsically driven to just do a good job for good job's sake, to put something great out into the universe, to make sure that end result actually happens and give it the best chance possible of happening. I think that's what drives those rather than any sort of bestowed ownership. Everything Megan is saying in my one and a half weeks, one week, one and a half weeks here, I can see like she walks the walk that she's talking. So it, it's been great to hear her on this. Were you shadowing me doing NDAs earlier? <laughs> no, just kidding. I didn't do any NDAs today. I didn't do any NDAs. <laughs> you know, Megan, we can automate those away, actually. <laughs> Great opportunity. Yes. Yeah. It, it is a lot though to, to play player coach. And I think that like finding, you know, early employees, if you're building out a legal team early, who want to play player coach is really important. Now, if you're in a much larger company, you've got different, you know, considerations. Maybe you want to find a coach coach or a player player, but in this kind of like, you know, high growth mode that we're in, that player coach from from everyone is really important. Brenda, I, I want to go deeper with you for a second on this sort of concept of of being an owner or or ownership and ask you a little bit about like saying yes to various stakeholders. And and I'm I'm actually very curious for how your mindset was when you were a paralegal and then in in a little bit more of an elevated ops role where you're having to work across different functions, how that's changed. And I think ultimately this is really kind of a question about prioritization. Can you say yes all the time anymore? It's really difficult for me not to say yes to everything, right? Because as a paralegal, that's how you learn. You do, you want to, you say yes to everything as an in-house paralegal to, if you're like the only paralegal and there's other, you say yes, even though you're a corporate paralegal, you say yes to doing, you know, other cross-functional teams with supporting um, legal, no matter what. So I'm really been working on embracing, um, moving away from the mindset of just doing everything to being like, whoa, like where, how does legal ops fit into this request? And like you said, right, it's prioritizing. I, I think it's really being strategic about what you're doing now, more so than just doing whatever work comes to your desk. You're being more strategic about it, like planning it out. I think it helps if you if like legal ops as a function has sets its priorities, responsibilities, whenever, if, whenever, if it's on a quarterly basis, like with your OKRs or it's on a project or like an implementation, right? Like you're setting the responsibilities. And so then the stakeholders know, right? What to expect. They know what kind of support you're going to provide. Then you yourself know where the line is kind of drawn that you're going to do this part and, and not everything. I know there's always going to be urgent requests that come across, you know, your desk, P0s and whatever they're called. And, but, and you, 
have to reprioritize based on that, right? If it's coming from the CEO and it's a project or if it's a, some, something that's super urgent that's coming from the business, you have to think about that. But I think it's maybe it's about reprioritizing that. And it's also, right, like I think legal ops, maybe it's not always just saying no, but it's like you said, reprioritizing. And then mm-hmm. maybe it's no right now. Maybe it's no, but hey, why don't you get on our our roadmap for next quarter or hey, why don't you know? Why don't you speak to this team because they can help you move a little bit down closer to the finish line? Or like, let me give you this resource to to help you with that. So it's I don't think I don't think I'd ever still say no, right? Like it would be discussing it, talking it out, figuring yeah. out how else you can help. But it, it's not going to be. I think I've already changed a little bit to where I was before. Was like yes, 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 do everything. So I, I think I'm I'm moving towards that and. Because you can't, you can't do everything, right? Like it just jeopardizes your, your health, your mentality, the work product, right? If you're doing everything and you're not raising your hand to say that, you know, this is not in mm-hmm. your plate or then, then it just jeopardizes the work product. But again, I think it depends on the company size, right? Like Megan was saying here at Apollo, it's just me and her. And if she wants me to, I'm doing whatever data entry or supporting this other team or whatever she wants me to do. So it, I get, think it depends on the size of the team and where you're at and what the needs are and just kind of moving into more strategic thinking. And it takes a while to do that. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's especially interesting for legal to think about this because there is this history. I, I've actually never really seen this, but there's this history of legal as being a sort of department that says no a lot. Most of the attorneys that I've worked with all throughout my career have been folks who say, no, but we can do this or yes. And why don't we do that slightly differently and do it this way? Megan, how do you think about that as, as you've built teams of 30 plus folks? Do you think about sort of one helping them with the, the mentality of, of saying yes, but not yes to too much and, and uh, two with prioritization of, of what they're going to be focused on. It's a tough one. And I think um, there's a couple trends I see from managing all sorts of people over the years. One is we oftentimes like have our own pet projects that we care about, that we like, that we're good at, that are within our like super comfort zone. It can be really tempting to gravitate towards those projects. I'm guilty of this as well as a corporate attorney by background. Gravitating towards those feels really safe, but it may not always be the number one priority for the business. And so making sure that you check yourself and you can openly check each other and like kind, you know, probing ways sometimes, hey, how's this other thing going? Like that can be really important because otherwise, of course, we all go back to our safe space. And so as a manager and leader, one of the things I try to do is make sure both myself and others around me are not just in our safe space, but are in the priority space too. Another thing that's important to me, and it's different for every leader, whether you are a leader of yourself, that is absolutely a management position, or you are a leader of a large team, right? Life is a lot to manage. Like figure out what your like standard, non-negotiable, typical working styles are. For me personally, after many years in a law firm, I do not work weekends unless there is an emergency. Of course, emergencies pop up and I'm I'm around and I'm jumping into action, but that should be the 
rare exception, not the norm. It For every leader and for every person, though, that's different. If you're a manager of one of yourself, like figure out what your things are. Oh, I have to log off at four o'clock to go, you know, pick up my kids from school and feed them dinner. I'm back on at seven for sweeping my emails or whatever that means to you. It's easier said than done. And it has taken me a lot of years to iterate on that personal management, manage of myself. Yeah. One, just one thing I would add, and, and I'm, I'm curious if, if the two of you would agree with this. I find that folks, oftentimes myself, team members have a sort of like endless capacity to do small things, things that take 10, 15 minutes, keep trains running on time, but that you really can only push forward three, maybe four big initiatives at at once. And so oftentimes success looks like setting yourself up for success and saying, no, that really, that big thing, you know, that rollout of a new vendor or a whole new process for sales intakes or needs to wait until next quarter or the second half of the year or whatever whatever the sort of roadmap looks like because I need to be focused on these three projects here today. And I know that with day-to-day taking up two-thirds of my day, it's going to be really hard to push forward more than than a few things. And if you're at a startup, for every three projects you plan for on legal, two and a half come at you by surprise. So you're lucky to get a half project done when you think you were going to do three. And so there's a little bit of a discount you want to take when you think about the big rocks that you're moving on legal, because like no matter you know how well prepared you are, how big your legal team is, how mature the company is, there will be things that we can't anticipate that hit us because on that risk matrix, it's not just like two to five risks. There are, if you want to get real deep about it, there's a hundred different risks from employment to, you know, data privacy to contractual to bank system collapse risk, right? So there will be a bunch of these projects that just get thrown at you. I think as a legal team, budgeting for the surprises while also budgeting for that we need to keep this train moving is a really delicate balance. I'm impressed. At, at close to 45 minutes, you slipped in an SVB reference. I thought that we might make it through. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was, I was trying not to because I know this may not like launch for a while. <laughs> I thought it was going to be brought in what she was talking about working on the weekend. <laughs> I, I am a big I'm a big proponent of weekends also being for, you know, rest and, and, and re- recharging and and then coming back and, and working hard and being focused during the work week. There's only so many weeks in a row that you can just sort of continually work, I, I think, although investment bankers out there may may uh, try to prove me wrong. <laughs> One more round of, of serious questions uh, and then maybe a couple of fun ones before yeah. we wrap up. Brenda and, and Megan too, I'm, I'm really curious for where you see the legal ops function going over time. Is it going to be more tech implementation? Is it process? Is it always even going to live within legal? I, I'm just very curious for your sort of high level views on on what, what legal ops means today and, and what it might mean in the future. I can go first. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Mine will probably be quick. <laughs> I mean, I think there's so much growth in the legal ops field that it could go many directions. And sometimes it just depends on the company that you're at and the needs and and what's going on with the team, right? I think if you're thinking about people, in legal ops, similar to Megan bringing me on as the first legal hire, you know, I've seen so many legal ops roles, manager roles open, 
and speaking to other DCs and CLOs and it's starting, I start to see that out there that they're kind of doing the same. They're seeing legal ops as a priority in hiring, right? To help build the infrastructure, to help with achieve efficiencies, to build, to build a team. So mm-hmm. I kind of see that maybe growing and hopefully thinking of legal ops as a priority hire. Um, technology, there's so much technology. There's always technology. It's sometimes it's overwhelming for people, I think, but given the market and everybody's like, do more with less, whatever technology will still be there. And I I think it's just continuing to lean on them to help create like efficient processes. Maybe it's, are we, are we, we're not going to get through this podcast without saying AI, (laughs) but maybe it's, uh, the other day I was on a tool and I was telling Megan, I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this had an AI function. I just asked it something really quick and it just spit this out. It was amazing. (laughs) So maybe the technology, it's the wow factor, right? Like what are they going to wow us? Are there going to be providers that, that stand out a little bit more than they do now in the neck to neck race with stuff like. AI or whatever else is out there. Megan, curious for for your thoughts as as well. These are great predictions, Brenda. I'm etching these in stone. We're going to come back to them in a couple of years, see where we're at with legal apps. No, just kidding. A couple trends I see for legal apps. One is the continued elevation of legal apps as a really essential function. I think from a lot of tech companies, people really intrinsically understand product operations or marketing operations and um, legal ops will continue to be viewed and understood and seen as that key cross-functional partner. And I think there's you know, a real path for development for legal ops to be directors of legal ops, a, ch- a pathway to chief of staff and to other really you know, yeah. critical business and operational roles. The second one is technology. It's not going away. In my mind, the legal department is the last department of an enterprise business to be sassified. So we're going to continue to get really sassy. There's going to be all sorts of new programs and software. And like some will emerge and they're really great. And some will emerge and we're going to try to figure them out. But that like software implementation part of legal ops is going to continue to increase and rise. And I think it'll be interesting to see whether legal ops takes on some of the like IT type of skill set or if it becomes a partnership with IT and just sort of tech implementation teams are more familiar with legal ops tools. I'd say the third one really is, where was I going with this? There was a third one. Education for legal leaders about the role of legal ops. You know, Brenda mentioned that there's an increasing number of roles out there for legal ops. It's becoming a thing. It's like you see it everywhere, whereas maybe five more years ago, it was um, definitely more rare. I do think that the kind of other side of that is that for legal ops to be effective, lawyers and GCs need to really understand how to utilize legal ops, how to work with them, when to rely on them, how to communicate with them. We spent our careers being lawyers and understanding the work that a lawyer did. And then we grew out of that work and did different work, but it was still a lawyer work. And then we did different lawyer work. So there is a little bit of an education gap for lawyers of really truly understanding legal ops and how to leverage them appropriately. Fourth little last one is, you know, I really am a huge believer of communication within a company and sort of, you know, branding the legal team is equally as important as um, educating the business about, you know, this is the the process you have to follow. This is what we want you to do from here on. We're going to reduce risk by logging our contracts and using an automated system and doing this other thing. Like that really mm-hmm. only works if you've got the brand, the capital, the relationships, um, the knowledge, the one-on-one settings 
to really um, have people want to buy into those change management um, issues that you bring to the table. And I think legal ops will continue to lean in to that comms and change management piece as well. Yeah, I think I think the key word there that you used was was cross-functional and, and legal ops really adding a lot of cross-functional value. And to to bleed a little bit into the, the sort of last question, um, which is around how we see the, the GC or CLO role changing over time or evolving over time. You know, five years ago, I would go to Tech GC events, another great organization for general counsels and, and now DGCs, AGCs too. And I would hear about how how they just didn't want to be seen as the department of no, and they they wanted to figure out a way to build relationships with other stakeholders. And, and now I think the conversation is much more a place of how do we become sort of true operators within the business? And, you know, maybe maybe the GC role or the CLR role is the pinnacle and, and that's um, what some folks love, but others are thinking about how do I become a chief strategy officer or go be a founder myself or be a GM of a business unit or even a CFO, pick up some finance skills. And the trend there that I see is that I think teams and leaders are expected to operate in much more cross-functional ways to be able to see things from a variety of angles. The days of, of sort of the business is just going to be run off of spreadsheets, at least for the tech space, which we're all in, or it's just going to be run out of engineering and the other opinions are very ancillary. That Those seem to be, seem to be gone. You have to be able to see problems from a, a whole different set of angles. Megan, how, how do you think about the, the GC role over time and, uh, and where it's headed in the next few years? Mm, I have less concrete thoughts about that than I do legal ops. Listen, like the things you mentioned, like being involved in strategy, being involved in finance, being involved in operations. I know lots of GCs and CLOs today who do that and they have the GC or CLO title. So I think that the role has expanded, whether it's a different title or not is a different question. But um, just as I mentioned, there's an education piece with uh, GCs and CLOs about how to effectively use legal ops and work with legal ops and leverage legal ops. I think the same can be said for CEOs and boards. How do we help educate mm-hmm. a group of people about what lawyers are capable of doing, what legal teams are capable of doing? It may be that there's some problem in your business that your legal team is really uniquely situated to p- pop in there. And like that legal team shouldn't be limited to the please just manage legal and stay over here in a box. As we continue to educate more folks about how legal teams can be business impacting, I think you see those limits kind of erode away and you see GC and CLOs take on a different and difficult functions, whether or not their title reflects it. Absolutely. I I love that. I often talk about sort of tone coming from the top and, uh, and it's certainly important for the GC to be a person who's setting the tone for how legal is perceived within the business. But it's also those other exec team members as well. It, it comes from the CEO, it comes from the CFO, it comes from the CRO, how they perceive legal and, and how they publicly communicate how they perceive legal, I think will really, really determines what the, the limits uh, or limitlessness of legal is. And that was not scripted. That is <laughs> just a thought that I had. I'm building on top of what Megan had to say. <laughs> One more fun question before we conclude today. 
I wanted to ask each of you, out of all the companies you've worked for, and you've worked for some cool ones, what company had the best piece of company swag, sweatshirt, hoodie, t-shirt, mug, and also which had the worst? And you can say worst first and then start at the end with the fun one. <laughs> we have to name the company when we say the worst one? You can, we, we can keep that confidential. <laughs> I received a, I received a company branded candle once that had our values on it. And I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be the, you know, undying flame of our values, but wasn't my favorite. I have to say it wasn't my favorite. They just, they just melted away. <laughs> Best of swag for me is anything that I can eat or my dog can eat. And I did once receive company branded dog treats. That's a good one. I love that. What did the people receive if they didn't have dogs? I think it was a choose your own adventure one. And there was some human edibles as well. Choose your own adventure. That's edible items. Choo- human edible items. Edible. Yes. I was just going to say edible. Um, I think it was a lawyer on the, on the team there. So <laughs> Scratch Brenda, that. how about you? Um, worst piece? I, I don't know. Maybe do they still give those? Or you said, I guess at any time we're at a company, the, those maybe those koozies, those things that keep your drinks cold or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Usually my drink is a big old margarita and a big old Yeti cup and like the koozie <laughs> doesn't even fit around it. So it's like, I don't know, it's not helpful in any in any way. No to um, get so better bigger koozies. Koozies that fit Yeti cups. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I don't know if this is because it's the most recent, maybe the the best swag or it actually is a really good because you were saying sweaters right so this blanket this beautiful navy navy colored blank throw like this throw from a blanket company that I think it was our EA from Coinbase that gave to like the trust and risk team it's so soft and I love it it's the best thing it's kind of like Megan I think before we were talking about sweaters company sweaters yeah but it's it's nice Brenda you reminded me of another like awkward piece of swag I received, but I do still own because it was very high quality. Um, I did receive a law firm branded towel, which is like bath towel, extra large bath towel, very high quality from like Pottery Barn or something. So we still have it, but it's a little too intimate of a moment for me to be thinking about my law firm. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, Megan and Brenda, thank you both so much for coming for this first episode of The Abstract and joining us today and for such a fun conversation and uh, an insightful one, too. Thanks to all of our listeners. What about your favorite swag? Oh, my favorite piece of swag. Yeah, Um, you were waiting. holding Holding me accountable. That's a good question. I would have to say... I have a really good champion hoodie that I got from a company that I worked at, like high quality, actually would wear it out on the street, keeps me warm. My girlfriend has been eyeing it and is mad that she has not been allowed to steal it yet. That's probably the the best one. I should have thought of a, of a worst one. <laughs> That's okay. No pressure. Stay tuned for episode. If someone ever, you know, puts it together, I think there could be quite the collection of tech swag graveyard, all of the items that never saw past receipt and you immediately sent them to the goodwill. Just me. Or Secret Santa. 
maybe a website or a blog in and of itself. <laughs> Instagram account. Many years um, ago, before I became a lawyer, I uh, was working in rule of law and human rights. And I had interviewed for a position at Yahoo on the human rights team of all things. Didn't know they had a human rights team. They did. Don't want to get into why they had to do it, but didn't take the job. They did send me a Yahoo branded bottle opener that every time you open the bottle cap, it screams, Yahoo. I have that because it is a piece of technology history. It could be in a museum in Silicon Valley someday. I still have it. We use it pretty often. Does it still say Yahoo? Does it still say it? Yes. That's great. That's amazing. Well, thank you again. Brenda and Megan, so much for joining us today and to our listeners for joining us as well on this first episode of The Abstract. Next time, we're very excited. We'll have Doug Luftman joining us. He was the former Deputy General Counsel at DocuSign, and we've got a, a great lineup over the course of the next couple of months as, as well. So hope you can join us for future episodes. Looking forward to it. Amazing. Thank you both.